Thank you, Matt, for reading scripture for us. Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to see y'all here this morning. If you happen to be a guest, I want to add my uh, voice to Jessica's and say we'd love to have you fill out one of those uh, hello cards, those new here cards, so feel free to do that. And uh, make sure you grab one of our welcome bags on your way out. It's a great way to hear a little bit more or get to know our church a little bit more and make sure you get a gift from a couple of our local businesses, which we love to support. Also, if you are relatively new to our community, uh, right after the service uh, next week, so not today, but next week, right after the service, we're going to have something called Starting Point. It's a short meeting where we gather folks who are recent in our community, give them a chance to get to know each other, hear a little bit more about our church history, what we're about, and what it looks like to uh, call Chatham Community Church your home. So again, I invite you to join us for that. It's next week, right after service, and we'll be glad to have you join us for that. Um, it's good to be reminded every so often that a change in perspective can help us see more than what seems apparent at first glance. I was reminded of that this week when I stumbled upon a uh, logic puzzle or a brain teaser. It looks something like this. Now, my first instinct was to assume that the numbers on the spots represented some complex series, and there was a formula that I needed to devise to figure out what the number in the missing, what the, num what the missing number was. And maybe there was a different formula for the number in the tens place and a different formula for the number in the ones place. And I spent time just trying to figure out what the solution to this brain teaser was, and I could not crack it. It turns out that all I needed was a change in perspective. Because when I changed perspective, the solution became pretty obvious. The puzzle was a lot simpler than what it appeared to be at first glance. See, a change in perspective can help us see more than what seems apparent when we take a first look. Uh, the passage that Matt read for us seems to be a pretty straightforward story at first glance. Uh, Thomas isn't around when Jesus shows up for the disciples. They tell him about it. He doesn't believe them. He doubts. Uh, he makes some demands. And then Jesus comes back and scolds him for doubting. Uh, so clearly, this is a story about doubt and about doubting. And doubting is bad. And it's so bad that we've coined a moniker uh, around it. We've coined the moniker Doubting Thomas. And if you've ever received the moniker Doubting Thomas, you know that that's not a compliment. That's not a compliment. But what if that's not quite it? What if that's not all there is to the story? Well, today we're going to look at the passage from a different perspective. And hopefully, in looking at it from a different perspective, we'll gain more than what seems apparent at first glance. My hope is that as we do it, we come to see that this is not actually a story that is designed to shame Thomas or to use him as a negative example, but rather that this is actually a signature moment for Thomas. It is a moment that transforms him and sets him on the course, on the path that will define his life, the rest of his life. This is ultimately not a story about doubt, but a story about belief. And a story about how Thomas comes to give his whole life to a particular belief, the belief that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And that's not just a signature moment for Thomas. It's not just a signature moment in Thomas's story. It's the type of signature moment that we all get to have or have an opportunity to have in our lives. Stepping into belief is a signature moment that transforms our life and shapes our legacy. 
When I talk about belief here, we're talking about more than simply an intellectual assent or an intellectual acceptance of some concepts. We're talking about something that one gives one's whole life to, something that one gives one's whole self to. So as we make our way through Thomas's story today, consider where you might be when it comes to belief. What have you given yourself fully to? What are you still resisting? What are you on the fence about? It might be that it's time for a signature moment for you where you step into belief and it transforms your life and it shapes your legacy. In order to start positioning ourselves to take a different perspective, we're going to briefly zoom out to Thomas, for Thomas's story. We're going to get a sense of who Thomas is. Well, Thomas is one of the 12, one of the 12 closer disciples who've spent uh, the last three years of Jesus's time on earth with him. They've been following him closely, and Thomas is one of them. And they've been following him leading up to his arrest, his death, and now his resurrection. And John records Thomas speaking three times. Now, not every disciple is recorded as speaking, but Thomas is the one, is one of the ones who's recorded as speaking, and he's recorded speaking three times. One of the ones is in this passage. The first time he speaks is right before Jesus heads back to the hometown of his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus uh, in order to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, the last time that the disciples had been in that town with Jesus, things had gotten heated. There had been threats from the Pharisees. There, was con- there were concerns that they were going to stone Jesus and stone his disciples, and this had not happened long before. And so there was concern among the disciples that if they went back, they were going to be in danger. But Jesus is resolute on going back. He knows, and he's communicating to them, we have to go back, I am going back. And here's what Thomas says. He says to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The next time Thomas speaks, or John records Thomas speaking, is in the last evening that Jesus is spending with his disciples before his arrest. He's communicating a lot to them in that evening, modeling for them a lot, uh, not just of who he is, but what is to come and what will be their mission, where they will go, what their lives will be like. He's talking to them about the near and far future, and he's saying to them, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? The picture that starts to emerge of Thomas is not of someone who is consistently resistant, but of someone who wants to move forward, someone who wants to give his life to something, but, but someone who wants to have some degree of confidence that he's headed in the right direction that he's giving himself to something that is worth giving oneself to. Because when he commits to moving forward, he's willing to give his whole life to. The stakes are high for Thomas, and so it makes sense that he wants to have maybe not the whole picture, but at least enough to feel confident with taking the next step. Let's bring that perspective into the passage that Matt read for us. Here's what's been going on leading into that passage. Uh, Jesus has been arrested This was not what the disciples expected to happen once they entered Jerusalem that final week. Jesus has been crucified. This was not what the disciples were expecting was going to happen when when the man that they were following as king came to Jerusalem. Jesus has died. This was not what the disciples were expecting when they followed Jesus into Jerusalem. This was not what Thomas was expecting. He's been buried. He is dead. Days have passed. 
and no one was sure what was going to happen. The disciples had heard Jesus talking about something about coming back to life, but they were clearly not sure whether that was literal or not. In fact, it, was, it seems evident that they thought that that was some sort of metaphor and imagery that Jesus was painting. And even though they've heard messages, they've heard people say that the tomb is empty, they are not quite yet ready to believe that Jesus has actually risen from the dead. They're willing to concede that the tomb is empty. Some have gone and verified that, but they're not quite sure what that means. And they've been gathered together. They've been gathered together in wait to see what is going to happen, to see what fate is left for them, to see if their lives are still in danger for having followed Jesus. And it seems that during one of those times of gathering, Thomas has stepped out. Now, Let's assume that he's not the only one that stepped out. Let's assume that stepping out might have to do with just the normal things you need to step out of a gathering for. Maybe someone needs to go get food. Maybe someone needs to go check in on something. But for whatever reason, Thomas is not in the room when Jesus shows up and Jesus appears to the other disciples. And now they believe. Now let's be clear, all of them doubted before Jesus showed up. But Jesus shows up to the 10 that are remaining and they believe and Thomas was not with them. And Thomas missed out. You know, one of the exercises or one of the, 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 the fun things about growing up was trying to time commercial breaks appropriately so that you could go to the bathroom or grab a snack and be in front of the TV right when the TV show started, right? Yeah, as much as I'm annoyed by streaming services that have ads, I do appreciate that break that they give us because if I'm watching something that doesn't have ads and I have to step out, and I have to get up and do something, I have to face the uncomfortable reality that I have to ask the people watching it with me to pause. (laughs) Because I'm not one of those people who can miss something, come back and say, so what happened? Because even if people tell me, it's just not the same. It's not the same to be told about something than to actually experience it. Maybe you're one of those people too. And I can imagine Thomas might be one of those, it's just not the same kind of people. When he comes back and the 10 are telling him that Jesus appeared, risen from the dead, alive, I can imagine him, it's just not the same. Longing, he's longing to have had that kind of experience. He's feeling bad about having missed out. He's longing to be with Jesus one more time. It just seems unfair that, he had, that Jesus happened to show up when he was not in the room. He wants to get a better sense of what the path forward looks like. He wants to know what he's going to give his life to, and it's just not enough for him to hear it from his disciples, from the disciples, from his friends. It's not enough because he wants to give his life to it. It's what he's going to do. He needs more. Now, Thomas has a mixture of that sense of having missed out, but there's also some sense of doubt in him. Did they really see what they said they saw? Or was it just an apparition? It was not uncommon for people to tell stories about uh, seeing apparitions. And so did they see the real Jesus? Or did they just see a ghost? Did they just imagine something? Was it a, a group hallucination? So he does doubt. But doubt's not where he stays. Thomas is an idol in his doubt. Doubt isn't a stopping point for Thomas. Doubt is a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone for him into belief, in his journey towards believing in something that he could give his life to. 
And so as he encounters his doubt, but also his feelings of having missed out, Thomas does a very brave thing. He names what he needs in order to believe. He speaks out what he needs in order to believe. And because of what we've read about him, because of the picture that's emerging about Thomas, we get this sense that he's serious. That when he says, if this thing, these things happen, I will believe, that he's serious. That when he says, if these things happen, I will believe, he's not just saying that I will have an intellectual encounter, but that I will give my life fully, not just to the reality of what this is, but to the implications, what it's going to mean for my life. There's a sense that his declaration is not just an excuse for not believing their word, but is genuine, genuinely a desire of what he wants and what he will give his life to if he has this experience. What he's doing is he's pre-committing himself. By saying, if these things happen or unless these things happen, I will not believe. He's saying, if these things happen, I will believe. He's pre-committing himself and he's not just doing it alone. He's doing it in front of his community. So he's pre-committing himself and he's inviting the community to hold him accountable, to hold him to that. Folks, everyone has moments or seasons where they get stuck. We all have moments or seasons where we get stuck, where we get stuck in life, where our faith stalls out. Sometimes our spiritual life grows stale. Sometimes it grows too compartmentalized. We haven't figured out how to let faith invade every part or permeate every part of our life, and we leave it boxed in certain areas. Faith loses its its vitality. The spiritual life loses its life. It just feels like a box we check off or something we go through the motions for. And there are lots of reasons for this. Sometimes we don't know how to take the next step. Sometimes we have doubts. We have questions. We don't know what to do with them questions that are hard to answer. Sometimes there are uh, unanswered prayers. Sometimes there is pain that has been unprocessed. Sometimes there's been disappointment. There are many reasons, unmet longings, among others, for which our faith stalls out, for which our spiritual life loses its vitality. And there are too many Christian circles where these kinds of things don't get talked about. They don't get named. They don't get acknowledged. And that leads, what that leads to is when it happens to us, we feel like there must be something wrong with us. Something wrong with the way we are engaging faith. In fact, some of us even grow to believe that maybe this kind of faith does not fit us. Because it seems like everyone else is coasting through. No doubts, no questions, no trouble with unanswered prayers or unmet longings. It feels like maybe we don't fit. And so maybe we try to ignore the things that are bothering us. Maybe we hope that they will go away. Maybe we think that there might be something wrong with us. And given enough time not attending to those doubts or to those questions or to those unmet longings or to those unanswered prayers, we will will end up leading a life that is a shadow of what God created us for and called us to. So let me say this explicitly. If we collected the stories of everyone here in this room, there would be an abundance of doubts. There would be an abundance of questions. There would be an abundance, unfortunately, of pain. There would be unanswered prayers. There would be unmet longings. 
there would be so much more. And every single one of them can be a stepping stone towards belief. Towards first-time belief or towards a deeper belief. But it all starts by identifying it, by naming it, by naming what it will take to engage that thing, that doubt, that question, that longing, that prayer, what it will take for us to take a step deeper into God. So today I want to invite you to name what you need that will help you believe and take the next step. Let me say this very clearly. There is no shame in having doubts. There is no shame in having questions. It's a natural part of life. There is no shame or there's nothing wrong with struggling with unanswered prayer or unmet longings. These are all a natural part of life. The problem comes when we make those stopping points instead of stepping stones. When we don't do something with those things, when we don't engage them, when we don't name or figure out what it will take for us to deal with them, to engage with them, to process them, maybe to move beyond them or to learn how to live in the tension, which could be a possibility as well. Let's name them. And let's name what we will need, what we need to help us move beyond, to help us take a step. Because that's what Thomas does. Thomas is hearing what they're saying. And he's saying, that is not enough for me right now. I need to see. I need to put my hands. I need to touch. I need to verify. I need the experience. And I will believe. He identifies it and he puts it out there. When you say what you need to see, to hear, to know, to experience, to go through in order for you to believe and take the next step, it does two things. One is it demystifies it. It robs it of power. And the second is it invites the community to gather around you and walk with you. It welcomes in the wisdom of others who've gone through similar experiences and know what it looks like on the other side. Or maybe it invites the company of a community that together is puzzled about how to get to the other side. But it's good to not feel alone either way. It invites them into it with us. God isn't intimidated by our doubts. God isn't intimidated or offended by our doubts or our questions. God would rather have our doubts. He would rather have our questions. He would rather be honest with how we feel about the unmet longings, the unanswered questions, the unmet expectations than for us to grow indifferent to him, than for us to allow our spiritual life to grow stale, to die. God would rather receive it. He can take it. In fact, if God is the God who we say God is, God has to be bigger and able to handle all of those things. God has to be able to help us resolve them. God has to be able to show us a path forward. Otherwise, he's not a God worth giving our lives to. God has to be able, and he is. So name what you, did. Name what, what, name what you need, like Thomas did. But then also do what Thomas does after, which is that he waits with expectation for God to respond. He waits for Jesus to respond. And Jesus does not respond immediately, folks. 
Now, you may say, well, it's only eight days. But remember, the climate in Jerusalem over those eight days is tense. They are concerned that their lives are at stake. This is actually a great time to get out of Dodge. And he waits. He waits for eight days. Jesus waits. It takes eight days for Jesus to show up. Eight days of waiting in a city where the threat of violence to them is real. But Thomas waits. And here's what's beautiful. It's not just that Thomas waits. The other disciples wait with him. Now, we don't see it named, but it appears that the other disciples are not offended that Thomas doesn't simply take their word for it. They want him along for the journey. They know the type of person that he is. They know what he'll give his life to if this proves out to be true, and so they stay with him. We'll wait with you. It's good to have that kind of community. There's no indication that they took offense. There's no indication that they tried to rush him. They wait with him. At the beginning of the year, we did this exercise here at Chatham, uh, uh, the first, of, first Sunday of the year, where we talked about unmet longings and uh, prayers we were waiting to be answered. And uh, we invited everyone to fill out an index card with a particular prayer. And we invited, we, we offered an opportunity to wait together as a community. And one of the options that we offered was for people to fill out a duplicate index card and, uh, and drop it in a box and that I would pray for that. So for the past six months, I've got this, uh, this, this stack of index cards that I just pray through occasionally, just look through and pray. It's a way in which we're waiting actively as a community. We're not just saying this is what we need or this is what we long for, this is what we're waiting for. We are engaging in it as a community. We're waiting together so that we can celebrate when God responds so that we can feel the joy. We are active and expectant in our waiting. We are engaging in it. Thomas doesn't just say what he needs and forget about it. He doesn't go back to whatever profession he had. He doesn't go back to regular life. He makes the kind of space that was needed for Jesus to respond. The kind of space that would help him recognize when Jesus did respond. That would help him hear the answer and experience God's presence. Once you've named what you need to take the next step, wait for God's answer actively and expectantly. This isn't just about letting time pass. It's about how we engage with the time that passes. Make space for your faith to grow. There's lots of ways to do this. Prayer is one way. That index card exercise that we did is an example of that. Some people read the Bible. Some people make space to journal. Some people talk to someone. Some people read passages that are connected to that particular theme or thing that they are mentioning. The point is not a particular method, but the approach, an intentionality about how we wait, about how we make space. It's not because that will provoke God into doing something. It's because it will make the kind of space we need so that we don't miss the answer so that we don't miss it when God responds. Because here's what we believe, because Scripture tells us that when we call, God answers. When we knock, God opens the door. When we seek, we find. When we ask and invite, God responds. God will respond. It may take days, it may take months, it may take years, it may take an instant, but God will respond, and we want to make sure we don't miss it. No one can tell how long it will take, but God will respond because he's done it throughout history. He does it here with Thomas. Let me remind us of what the passage says. It's on the screen in just a second. 
I mean, it's on the screen. I've put it up. Uh, at the start of Jesus appearing, if you read the, the previous encounter, you'll notice that it's very similar to how Jesus appears to the ten when Thomas is not in the room. It's almost a way of saying, all right, Thomas, you missed out the last time. I'm going to repeat certain things again so that you have the experience too. He imparts peace. He shows up when the doors are locked. He stands among them. All those things are common from the last time. I find that very caring of Jesus because it's a way of saying, hey, you felt like you missed out. Well, here, you didn't miss out. I'll show up for you. I'll show up for you. He gives Thomas a taste of what he'd missed out on the week before. And then he invites Thomas to do the things that Thomas had asked for. The things he named, right? To see and to touch. Those are the two phrases that Thomas had used. And in particular places where Thomas had mentioned them, it's a way of Jesus saying, I heard you. I heard you. I heard what you needed and I'm here to provide it. And then he invites them not just to verify the wounds, but he invites them to move from unbelief to belief. Now, I know in some of our translations, even the one on the screen, the word is doubt. But actually, when you look at the Greek, the the word there for doubt is the negative of the word that's there for believe. So it's, it's what Jesus is saying is not stop doubting and believe, but stop unbelieving and believe or move from beyond your unbelief to belief that I have actually risen, that this is actually real, that this is actually true, and that the implications of that are what you've committed to. People can read a harsh tone into Jesus' words in this passage, but I don't think we need to. And in fact, I think we gain a different perspective if we don't read a harsh tone into Jesus' words. Oftentimes when Jesus is rebuking someone, the passage doesn't let us imagine whether he is or not. The passage tells us It says, Jesus rebuked. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a harsh tone in this passage. There might be. We don't know. But the lack of the word rebuke and what the doors that are opened, if we don't read a harsh tone into this passage, I think lead me to believe that maybe he's not rebuking him. If we don't read harshness into this passage, what comes across is what's consistent in all the resurrection passages, in all the resurrection encounters, Jesus meets his close followers. He helps them verify that he is truly risen in bodily form, not just an apparition, not just a ghost, ghost, so that they can confirm what they're giving their lives to and carry forth that message that he is risen and he is risen indeed because he is entrusting them to take that message to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are here because the disciples and other people who were around Jesus confirmed this message, the thing that Thomas is confirming here as well. And reading it like this offers us grace too, because what it says is that God doesn't respond to our doubts with condemnation, but with encounter. God doesn't respond to our questions with condemnation, but with encounter. God's desire isn't to usher us into sort of a quiet a blind belief, but an engaged faith that we can give our lives to confidently. And Thomas's response is not the response of a man shamed and rebuked. It's, a man, it's the response of a man who's encountered someone who loves him and cares for him deeply. 
Here's what he says. He says, my Lord and my God. This is one of the more powerful declarations of who Jesus is that we find in the Gospels. One of the most succinct and true statements that we see about him. He's received what he's asked for, Thomas has. And so he commits to Jesus with his whole life. He not only acknowledges him as God, but as Lord, which means he's saying, my life is yours. Everything after this point is for you to guide as you will. I am giving myself fully to you and your mission. Friends, when we name what we need to believe, when we ask God to show up, when we wait for him expectantly, when he meets us, then it's time to believe and follow through. Just like Thomas, once we've received what we needed to believe, then it's our turn to believe and follow through. It's consistent throughout Scripture. God always makes the first move. God always engages us. God always meets us. But then he invites us to respond with our part. And our part is to believe and follow through, to believe and go forth. We don't see much of Thomas in the rest of the New Testament. But based on what we know of church history, that's because he doesn't stay local for very long. Once he has this encounter with Jesus, he goes further than most any of the other apostles or disciples. He gives his life to this. He takes the message through Syria, and he makes it all the way to India. In fact, he makes it all the way to, what, to um, uh, what's in the southeastern sort of tip of India, a state called Kerala in India. Um, there is a community of Christians there that's been there uh, for as long as anyone can remember. It's a vibrant community of Christians and they trace their lineage, their heritage as Christians, all the way back to Thomas. It's not much of a doubting person, is it? It sounds much more like a committed person, a person who was ready to move forward. He's the Thomas who named what he needed in order to believe. He's the Thomas who waited actively for Jesus to show up, to show up. And once Jesus showed up, he's the one who followed through and went forth beyond. Samaria, beyond almost to the ends of the earth as they knew it. He had his signature moment, and it transformed his life, and it shaped his legacy. It is so significant that uh, there are people in India, in that state, whose last name is Thomas. That's not due to European colonization, folks. That's due to the legacy. 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 His signature moment shaped his life. It transformed his legacy. Now, I don't know where God might send us, but that kind of impact is available to you and to me. That's the kind of transformation that can happen. That's the kind of legacy we can live. How might your life be transformed and your legacy shaped by a signature moment of stepping deeper and deeper into belief? And what would it take for you to take that step? What's needed for you to take the next step in belief? That's what I want you to identify right now. Right now. What do you need to take the next step? What's holding you back from that next step of belief, from going further and further into what God has for you? Here are a few ways that I want you to respond. The first is to name it, to identify it, and then to actively wait. Here's a few ways you could actively wait. You could read a gospel. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially for those of us who are unfamiliar with what it means to follow Jesus, unfamiliar with the Jesus story, the Jesus narrative. If you want to be compelled by Jesus, read the firsthand accounts. We can't go back to the first century and listen to the 10 or even to Thomas tell us their story, but we can read the words that they left behind. That's one of the, the hallmarks of the Gospels is that we believe that all of them emerge from her firsthand accounts. This is what people saw. This is what people experienced. But you don't have to just believe. Just take your next step based on what you hear or read. You can encounter You may not be able to see the risen Jesus, but you can meet him. So seek to meet Jesus. Seek to meet Jesus. I've told the story before here about a a college student that I mentored a number of years back who had all his questions and doubts answered and was, when, when I asked him what he needed to take a step of faith, he said, I just feel like I've never actually felt Jesus. I just need an encounter with God. I said, all right, well, let's pray for that. And why don't you pray for that for the rest of the week? Do you know how to pray? And he said, yeah, I think I know how to pray. All right, well, go do that and we'll see what happens. And then the next time we met, he was like, I'm ready to believe. He sought to meet with Jesus. And Jesus responded, because that's what Jesus does. That's what God does. So seek to meet with Jesus. And then follow through. I'll give us three options. Because for some of us, I think follow through is baptism. It's that step in our development of faith where we say to the community, I am giving my life to this. We're going to have one in the near future. I'd love for you to be part of that. If you've never been baptized, you feel like that's the next step for you, talk to me. Let's consider that. For some of us, it's a recommitment. We've engaged with faith in the past, and it's grown stale. It's become simply a habit rather than something that's transforming our life. If you need to recommit your faith and aren't sure how to do that, come talk to me. Glad to give you some next steps. Maybe for some of us, the follow-through is to actually let Jesus be Lord in a particular area of our lives. Whether it's our relationships or our future, our studies, our career, the way we handle our family, the way we handle our finances. There was a, uh, a person here a number of years ago, maybe two years ago, who came up to me after a service and was like, Jaime, I just want you to know that um, after you know, just being here for a long time, um, um, uh, we, 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 like, we're really serious about this, and, and, and we, we've started giving. And I was like, okay, t- t- tell, tell me more about that. Like, it's not that you and Alex talk about it a lot. It's just that that was an area where we were having trouble trusting God. And through being here, through, through following God, through hearing what's preached, to hearing how people talk about their faith, we felt like that was the thing we needed to do. And so we've started doing it. That's what the follow-through. They needed to invite Jesus as Lord into their finances. And that was the step they took. That's not me doing a plug for you to give because we don't do that here (laughs) in that way. Uh, But it's a different way that this person invited Jesus to be Lord in a particular area of their lives. For you, it might be that. For you, it might be serving. For you, it might be simply being comfortable with, with saying you're a follower of Jesus to other people. I don't know what it is. I'm happy to help you find out if you don't. Whatever it is, once Jesus shows up, follow through. Follow through. Let this be a signature moment. I'm going to leave this up for just a second, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask you to attend to these three things and see what God draws your attention to. So feel free to keep your eyes open. Feel free to keep your eyes open. In fact, to not make it awkward, I'm going to turn around and look at that too. We'll just all look at the screen. Um, come Holy Spirit.
Lord, for those of us who've identified what's next, what's standing in the way of the next step of belief, draw our attention. Draw our attention to how you want us to attend to that in this next week, how you want us to wait. Lord, draw attention to your scripture. Draw attention to encounter with you. May we pursue that, God. For those of us who've already met you, who've already received what we 